Welcome to Tell Us About It, Victim Research Convos, a podcast from the Center for Victim Research with support from the Office for Victims of Crime. On each episode of Tell Us About It, we talk to researchers and practitioners about their work, the tools being built for use in the field, and how we can work together to build an evidence base for victim services. I'm Susan Howley, and today we're talking with Lynn Jones, professor at the Department of Criminology and Criminal Justice at Northern Arizona University, and Sarah Young-Patton, Associate Director of Victim Witness Services of Coconino County. Lynn and Sarah partnered on a research fellowship project funded by the Center for Victim Research. Lynn and Sarah, welcome to you both, and can you please introduce yourselves and your role in the project? Yes, uh, thank you so much. Hi, this is Lynn Jones, and I was one of the researchers in this uh, collaboration with Victim Witness Services, and I'm at NAU, Northern Arizona University. Hi, um, and my name is Sarah Young-Patton. I'm the Associate Director at Victim Witness Services for Coconino County, and I am one of the project people on this. Lynn, can you tell us briefly what this project examined and why you were interested in that? Sure. Uh, As a researcher in the area of victimology, one of my interests has always been victim services and how they are delivered. And with my colleague, Brooke Deheer, we have worked with victim witness services in, you know, different capacities over the years, both on campus and sending some of our students there. But also our research interests have shown us through the literature that there are some unique needs in rural areas. You know, in particular, we were hoping to uh, work with Victim Witness to help gain kind of a better understanding of what's happening uh, in this kind of geographically large and um, diverse area of the state with, you know, a large Native American population, uh, as well as the geographic distance that can create some unique situations for victims in this area. Sarah, um, why were you and Victim Witness Services so interested in this project? Uh, well, we at Victim Witness Services, we've been trying to reach to some of the more rural, remote parts of Coconino County for several years now. So we're based in Flagstaff, which is the largest population center in the county. And we have satellite offices in Page, Arizona, and most recently in the Grand Canyon area. Um, so as we've been expanding, we've been wanting to make sure that we tailor our services to the region. We realize that we can't just replicate what exactly what we do in Flagstaff in terms of services and programs in other, especially more rural areas. They just have different needs. So we've been trying to figure out how to go about assessing those needs when this opportunity presented itself. So it was kind of perfect that way. And on top of that, additionally, I had been um, doing some reading and I had recently read some research that um, had compared advocates and survivors' views of what were the most important or significant services that, that they either offered or had received. And the research that I had read had found that, well, there were was some commonality and agreement on what was important, there were also a lot of disagreement. Um, some of the services that survivors said were most important to, to them had either just not even made the list of the advocates perceived um, what they saw as the most important or were kind of lower on their list. So I wanted to... I, I, thought that really pointed to the fact that it's really important to be in touch with the community and with our our clients and what their needs are, as opposed to the assumptions that we make about what we think that they need. 
So as you both undertook this needs assessment, uh, Sarah, it sounds like you had some, from your reading already, some sense of the of the services or exploring the differences and understanding of the needs. How about the barriers? Did you all have an understanding of some of the barriers you wanted to explore or did you just want to leave it open? Well, when uh, when Brooke and Lynn came to us with this proposal, um, we definitely talked about some of the different barriers that we thought were being faced in more rural areas. So I had actually, I, I think we had kind of assumed that transportation was going to be one of the biggest barriers that we were going to find. Um, I think the research showed something a little different than that, which was interesting too. But definitely that's one of those things. And also as these... Um, centers are farther from our, you know, main location in Flagstaff, you know, we definitely knew that there was going to be some issues in terms of people actually even knowing that we existed or that these um, services were even possible in different situations. Especially, you know, we do offer services to victims of all crime, but a large percentage of that are, you know, the more personal crimes like sexual assault and domestic violence, especially where in some of these, I mean, in all communities, these are, are crimes that are often overlooked or people who are victimized may not consider themselves to be victims. And so they may just think that that's that's their life and they're just trying to figure out how to live their lives. And so reaching out as part of an organization that calls themselves Victim Witness Services, if you don't identify yourself as one of those victims, then you don't know that our services are available to you. So the there's all kinds of different barriers, both specific to rural areas, um, but just kind of in general. All right. So I think we have a real clear picture of the need for this project. So, Lynn, let's move into the actual uh, work of the research. How did you reach participants? What was your approach? Sure. I, I, I first will start by saying that we had to learn quite a bit about these two communities. And so we. Uh, the, my co-researcher, Brooke, and I, we spent a day in the Grand Canyon and a day in Page uh, with the victim advocates in those locations. And we talked to them. I, I wouldn't call it a formal interview. We kind of shadowed them, asked them questions, learned a bit about the, the work that they do. But also just being in the community, we really got a feel for the remoteness. You know, I mean, these are places that we had been before, but never with an eye to really look at them in terms of victim services or people who live there. They're both popular tourist destinations. Um, so we had visited those communities, but just being there and seeing the location, the building, you know, where the victim advocate sits, the proximity of that office to other things in the community, other places in the community, whether it's uh, other community services or kind of the center of the community in terms of where people might go shopping or where the tourist sites might be. So that was really helpful just to get us started talking <clears throat> with the advocates. And then from there, we we worked with the advocates to help us create the survey instrument. And as I said previously, we wanted to create a customized survey for each location uh, for a few reasons. One, in the Grand Canyon, there is the unique situation of housing being tied to employment at the Grand Canyon. And so we wanted to be sure that we were asking questions or including 
something, some way to get at that as a potential barrier or how the community members might view that and talk about that. And the advocate in the Grand Canyon was able to help us create a scenario that we actually used in our instrument about how people might respond or what they what what they might do in a, in a situation in which um, maybe their victimization would create an issue in terms of housing, for example, if they had to leave housing to seek services or shelter. And so that was very helpful. And um, then in PAGE, we have a a closer proximity to Native American participants. And so we wanted to similarly make sure we were building in some questions there. To say a little bit more about PAGE, we also knew that we needed to build some rapport and maybe customize the survey in terms of how we asked questions and gain access, you know, to those, those members of the community. And so we, we worked again with the advocate there to locate community meetings that included a lot of people who then might be able to help us distribute the survey or just explain the survey. And uh, again, the advocates were, were great in helping us to identify common areas in the community where we might distribute the survey. And I haven't said this previously, but we we had both a paper and pencil version of the survey, as well as an electronic uh, Qualtrics version of the survey that you could access on a phone or just scan a code and it would open up the survey electronically. So we did a lot of outreach in the community via those advocates. They helped us distribute the paper and pencil surveys as well as post some of the postcards around that had the scannable code. Each advocate had a Dropbox in their office. And it's my understanding that the advocate at the Grand Canyon also put Dropboxes to hand in the survey in a number of other locations that she knew were kind of common or central locations that that people regularly would walk by or um, be able to easily drop off a completed survey. So that was one, uh, one thing that the advocates helped us with. We also, in order to reach participants and just make sure that our response rate was up, we returned to the communities uh, multiple times to just help hand out more surveys ourselves. We stopped in some additional locations, such as the public library, the community college branch, um, health clinics, any place that we could kind of think of that would be a place where you might just find community members kind of going about their ordinary business of the day. Sounds like that was a lot of um, of strategic effort to get um, get participation. What were some of the challenges you faced as you went through all this? Uh, I think I would say that just the challenge of getting the response rates up, and I think that's a challenge in any survey. Uh, but with this type of research, or with this, you know, doing this needs assessment to help uh, victim witness services, the biggest challenge I think was trying to do some targeted outreach. You know, we wanted to hear from a variety of individuals in those communities, and so I'll just give an example in page. There are a lot of churches, and the victim advocate there was suggesting that we 
try to distribute to some of those churches. And while we did do some of that, we knew that that might not capture the wide range of community members. And so uh, we we had to kind of think creatively about some other locations where we might get a little bit of diversity, both in terms of you know age and uh, employment, but but also you know race, ethnicity, gender. Um, and just try to get a range of people who maybe had some victimization experience as well as those who maybe had not, but still had opinions about uh, victim services. So that was probably the biggest challenge was just to think about those what those different community locations could be. But the, the advocates were, were great help in, in really facilitating that. Sarah Lynn has talked a lot about the importance of the advocates at each of those sites. How did you work to get them engaged and uh, what were your observations about the benefits to the project of having the advocates so involved? Well, I think the the local advocates, I mean, kind of from from what Lynn was saying and from our experience, were, were pretty essential to getting responses to the survey. I think they both also were super helpful in kind of framing the questions out there, framing the challenges. We were fortunate in both of, of these advocates. The one in Paige, she's been in that community for over 20 years. Um, she's been with our agency for about three years, but before that she had worked in, in as an advocate for 17 years previous to that. So she has a lot of connections um, throughout that and, and really knows that community pretty well. So I think she was really good in, in not only making suggestions and helping being hopefully <laughs> hoping Lynn and Brooke frame their questions, but also getting buy-in from the community. You know, with her as the representative, I think she can it's a small town. She can walk into a room and pretty much everybody knows who she is and she knows all of them. Um, and so asking people to participate in the survey, you know, it wasn't these crazy strangers from, you know, Northern Arizona University or from Flagstaff coming into Page and saying, hey, do this. It was kind of one of their own in some ways. And I think with Bethany, too, she's been in the Grand Canyon area for about four or five years now, I believe. Um, so she's fairly familiar with that community. And she's also just super thoughtful and um, very intentional about what she does. So I think she was really helpful in terms of framing those questions. And then again, also getting buy-in from the community. And I know for her, especially she was brand new to that position. I think we had literally opened up that office like three months before this whole project got started. So she was super energized and gung-ho in terms of wanting to make sure that as she was setting up that office, that it was being done in a way that was, as I said, super intentional, but also very responsive to the needs of her community. Lynn, what was it like for you as a researcher to work so closely with victim advocates as opposed to a university-based research assistant? Yeah, it was a great experience. I think both of them, as Sarah indicated, were were very thoughtful and and very helpful to uh, provide that that kind of collaborative insight into what's going on in their communities what the the different needs might be, but also not um, not making you know huge assumptions. Um, they were really open to kind of learning from us as researchers as well about, well, maybe we don't want to ask the question this way. Um, and there was a bit of back and forth where 
we would present our ideas maybe from a research perspective, and then they could share with us their ideas about maybe the wording of questions or uh, some other other things that, that maybe their community members or their clients might also uh, want to see included in that survey. And so they were were so informative and uh, really caring about their communities and wanting to see the impact of this this research and this needs assessment to really make a difference for them. And so we just had a, such a great positive experience with them. Now, Lynn, you talked about, well, both of you talked about wanting to ensure that you had the voices of Native American victims as part of this project. And I know that with tribal research, there can often be extra steps, especially if you are trying to do any research on the reservation. Now, here, you weren't specifically trying to research what was happening on the reservation, but with the uh, tribal members that were living outside the reservation and in the community. Did you take any steps to help ensure that you were being inclusive and culturally sensitive? Yes, absolutely. So we, our first step was to work with our IRB and the Institutional Review Board for Research here at Northern Arizona University. And we just wanted to make sure uh, that the project we were designing, you know, did it constitute research? And they were able to clear this project that as a needs assessment, um, which is really considered part of a program evaluation for victim witness services, uh, as something that did not formally constitute research. Uh, but at the same time, we knew that Native Americans would be included in our efforts, both in terms of outreach and kind of targeting people to get a variety of responses. But we we wanted to make sure their voices were heard and, as you indicated, to be inclusive and culturally sensitive. And so what we did in our outreach, you know, starting with the advocates and they're helping us think about the questions or think about the way we might want to ask uh, for information about victim experiences or victim services, understanding, awareness, things along those lines. They gave us some ideas, but we knew that that would maybe not be sufficient. And so we worked with the advocate and page in particular, and she helped us take our kind of draft survey instrument and questions to a community meeting that had uh, some Native American community members who were in different leadership positions in some different service agencies. And they were able to give us feedback on both of the wording of the questions, the format of the questions. So, you know, how to ask the questions, what to ask specifically. They gave us suggestions about the vocabulary we were using and to, you know, to come up with some alternative wording that might be understood in a different way. Uh, they also helped us to understand that we might want to add more open-ended questions where individual member, tribal members would like to explain their answers so that just filling out uh, a multiple choice type of response without having the chance to explain or provide more context, uh, that was something that, that was really valuable in terms of our understanding of how to design the survey instrument itself. That also helped us, I think, as Sarah indicated, to build rapport. Um, so even though the advocates themselves are very 
well-known and established in the communities. They didn't know us as researchers and they didn't know, you know, why would NAU want to come in and ask these questions? And so just that process of including community members in the design of the survey instrument helped us build rapport and kind of establish some of that trust so that hopefully community members would then be willing to fill out the survey and answer our questions. So it sounds like the stakeholder involvement was really time well spent for this project. Yes, absolutely. A lot of legwork, but I think really, really important. Now let's turn to the findings. Sarah, you mentioned earlier that uh, you expected to find that transportation was a bigger barrier, but it wasn't as significant as you thought it might be. Did any of the other findings surprise you? And what else did you find? That was, as you mentioned, that was kind of the biggest surprise to me that that transportation wasn't higher on the list of, of kind of needs or, or um things that, that people were looking for help with. Um, the, the other things that did come up, I don't think any of them were particularly surprising necessarily. In some ways, it was good to have our thoughts about <laughs> about these areas kind of reinforced, like we weren't coming completely out of left field. It, it, it reinforced what we had already been thinking and also kind of what Lynn referenced before in terms of there has been a lot of research done on rural communities in terms of needs special to those areas. So it, it will definitely be very useful going forward. Lynn, as a researcher, what about the findings struck you? Yeah, I think uh, we know from the literature that having awareness of services can be an important step for help-seeking behavior. And I think it was you know, not surprising that there were some lack of awareness uh, among the community members that they were maybe not as sure what was available or what specific services were available. But I think the disconnect between knowing that services are, are available, but then not knowing what to do next, not knowing how to use them, or having maybe no idea where to start if you are victimized. That was kind of an interesting finding to me that, uh, again, could be something that we could explore a little bit more with, with some additional research about, you know, when there's awareness, but then not knowing what to do next. Are there ways that we can further support victims in that way? Uh, I think, again, as Sarah indicated, you know, not so surprising some of the things that we learned from our Native American respondents, that there's maybe a distrust or a, a desire for more culturally appropriate responses, maybe having individuals who are tribal members themselves that are some of the service providers. You know, those are things that are not surprising to us. But again, as Sarah said, kind of reinforced uh, some of, I think, what what our understanding was. And then maybe one more thing I'll say um, that we know in rural areas, there is often some concern among victims about reporting because of their that it's a small town and everyone will know or they they don't think their confidentiality or their privacy will be protected. And that was evident in our findings, but even a, kind of a step further was the feeling shame and feeling embarrassed was was also I think interesting to to see. So Sarah, now that you have have this data about the needs out there and the barriers. How does Victim Witness Services intend to use these findings and who will you share them with? 
Well, there's kind of um, two tracks to that. There is on the one side in terms of as we move forward and look at our programs and services that we already have available and we look when we look at building on them or shifting them, we definitely will be looking at um, doing more outreach, more community education, that kind of thing to make sure that when some something does happen to someone, when someone is victimized, hopefully someone, if not themselves, someone in their circle will remember who we are and say, hey, there was that. Isn't there that agency? They said they do this, that or the other thing. What about getting in touch with them? And, and also maybe trying to develop some other avenues to find us. Um, we are an independent nonprofit agency, which means that we are able to offer all of our clients confidentiality. We don't require that they report crimes if, if they've been victimized in order to receive our services, which is uh, nice in some of those situations that Lynn was talking about where people are reluctant to report, but they still need services. Um, so we are available for those people. But the second track, of course, is also um, in terms of funding our agency <laughs> as an independent nonprofit. Um, all, we're, we're heavily reliant on grants um, and I'm the primary grant writer for Victim Witness. So I know that I, I I wrote something up the other day that included reference to this research project, um, just stating that that we've been doing some research in our rural areas and and these are some of the needs that 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 we have found and and this is what we want to do moving forward with programs. Um, so it's going to be super helpful in, in a variety of ways. But in terms of who we share it with, I think we're going to share it, first of all, with everybody at the agency, make sure that all of our advocates know what this has what, what this has found, but also kind of share it with anybody who's interested, all of our, our funders, um, but also out in the community um, and with our community partners so that um, when we're working in these different communities, we couldn't be doing it by ourselves. So we have partners in both areas and here in Flagstaff. Um, and so making sure that this informs Forms conversations around um, gaps and services and where who wants to fill what gap where that kind of thing. That's great. So it has immediate practical effects. Most definitely. Lynn, from a researcher angle, and you've talked a little bit about about this already, but how do you hope to use these findings or build on them in the future? I think we will continue to to work with victim witness services to kind of maintain this collaborative relationship that we have. And so anything that we can do to help them kind of continue to conduct research or use research to advocate for their their clients and their organization, that's definitely an interest that Brooke and I have. And um, we're, we're available to support victim witness services as needed uh, or desired. And I think also we plan to present this research at a conference, an academic conference, and hope to publish, I think, highlighting some of the the key findings, some of which we discussed today. And that's kind of our immediate plan, I think, highlighting kind of the the unique rural and uh, culturally appropriate services that are desired by community members, as well as some of the more nuanced findings that, that maybe were not yet referenced in the academic literature. Uh, do the two of you have any advice for colleagues in other rural areas who might be interested in conducting their own needs assessment? Sarah, why don't we start with you from a uh, service provider standpoint? Sure. I, I mean, I think definitely having that community buy-in in terms of 
if you're already in that community, how do I put this? With rural community, I think any communities, but especially rural communities where everybody knows each other. And and if you're a stranger in their midst, it's very obvious. Doing this kind of uh, research, it's really important to do kind of as, as Lynn was talking about how she and Brooke went back to the same community on more than one occasion. It wasn't just a drop in. Hey, here's a survey. Thanks for your help. See you in a couple years. You know, they, they want people to, when they go in, to actually be genuinely interested and genuinely invested in their community. And so going back on a repeated basis, you know, uh, doing the consultation with community members in terms of what do you think about this survey? Is there anything better? Like, how can we phrase this in a way that's more understandable or or use different language or, or consulting with them? Really, you know, reinforcing the idea that they're the experts in their own lives. They're the ones who can tell us what they need. Us going in and saying, hey, we think you need this is not very useful. But so, you know, collaborating with them and and showing that true investment. Also, just kind of to go back, circle back a little bit and how we're going to use this. I think definitely we'd be more than happy to continue partnering with Lynn and Brooke. They've both been great to work with now and in the past. And I think going forward, personally, I'd be interested in doing something like conducting focus groups in these areas so we get a little bit more of the the qualitative um, information and and go beyond these surveys and try to really get the stories from individuals to, to see what we can do out there. Lynn, what about you from a researcher perspective? What advice would you give your colleagues? Sure. I think uh, one of the things that really helped this project is that Brooke and I were not new to victim witness services. So even while we maybe were new to these communities, we had quite an ongoing established relationship working with victim witness services in various ways. And so that kind of creating a collaboration that is built on something that's already in place, I think made it really quite quite helpful. Uh, And then, as I've said previously, we relied so much on the advocates from Victim Witness Services in these two locations. And so to not just go in as a researcher from the outside with an an expectation that you even know everything that that you're going to ask, we really were open to evolving and changing and adapting to the things as we learned them from both the advocates and then the second layer of involving community members themselves and in particular Native American community leaders uh, in the design of our instrument. And so that that I think really helped us. helped the research project uh, be successful. I think also the the outreach that we did, I would absolutely give that advice to other colleagues, other researchers looking into researching rural areas, whether it's on victim services or something else, that you have to be creative, but you also have to work with individuals in those communities to maybe learn about how to best capture the experiences of people living in those communities and uh, to do your best to fit yourself into that community as opposed to making assumptions about, well, this research design is the way we have to do it. (laughs) (laughs) So that, that was something that was very helpful. And uh, again, I think being being open and figuring out who your best collaborators can be, as well as doing targeted sampling um, in order to really give voice to those that are most underrepresented in research. 
Well, Lynn and Sarah, I want to thank you for sharing this terrific example of a strong researcher-practitioner partnership that had some real practical payoff and also lays the groundwork for future work. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tell Us About It. If you have recommendations for research or practice experts you'd like us to interview or tools you'd like us to feature on this podcast, email us at podcast at victimresearch.org. Tell Us About It is a production of the Center for Victim Research, funded by the Office for Victims of Crimes Vision 21 Initiative through Cooperative Agreement Number 2016-XVGXK006. The Office for Victims of Crime is part of the U.S. Department of Justice's Office of Justice Programs. However, the points of view and opinions discussed on this podcast are those of the host and expert contributors and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of the U.S. Department of Justice.